0: Supporting students on gap years is everybody's job, including higher education institutions, especially when it comes to mental health and how gap years can actually be a tool for supporting young people who are working towards more positive mental health. In today's episode, we talk with Mike from It Starts With Me, a charity focused on mental health, as well as Stephen from the Ted Rogers School of Management. And we talk about what those pauses mean and how they can support students, but also how institutions can better support students who choose to push pause. So here we go for another episode of the Gap Year Podcast. Welcome to the Gap Year Podcast, where we explore the who, what, where, when, and why of gap years real people sharing their stories, ideas, and experts diving deep into how you can make the right decisions in order to have a meaningful gap year. This is the place to be no matter where you are on your gap year journey. I'm Michelle Dittmer, your resident gap year expert. Let's jump right in. Everybody, welcome to the Gap Year Podcast. My name is Michelle, and I am your host and Gap Year expert. On the docket today, we have two incredible guests who are here uh, from various spheres that deal with young people and uh, how they are interacting with their mental health and their post-secondary studies. So I'm super excited to have Mike and Stephen here with me for a really meaningful conversation. But before we get too far into it, let's get a sense of who Stephen and Mike are so we know where this conversation is going. So Mike, can you give us the quick and, uh, and short version of who you are, what do you do, what are you bringing to this conversation today?
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks. So my, my short story is uh, I founded a consultancy, a mental health consultancy that specializes in K-12 education and workplace mental health. And we've done a lot of work in schools and in the workplace around just psychoeducation around mental health. And then as life progresses, I went back to school, became a psychotherapist. So I'm also a practicing psychotherapist. So I meet with a lot of young people in one of the clinics I work with, and we specialize in supporting people with ADHD or uh, similar mood related disorders. And a lot of the people that I work with are young people struggling in university who are either on the brink of failing out or being kicked out or uh, disengaged from their work or people who have left, who didn't finish, who, maybe are in their early to mid 20s and want to go back, but they don't know how to go back. And, and in some sense, you could say they slip through the cracks. And I would also count myself as one of those people. It was a bit of a miracle that I finished university. Um, the only reason I did, I think, is because I did count it as credits at university in Quebec. So I did a I did a three-year program in four years. There's no way I would have finished otherwise. I had to do summer school to finish as well. So I certainly am also one of these people who would have benefited greatly from something like this. Um, And I also have a personal sort of history of addiction and mental illness prior to transferring my life into this space. So that's my short story of who I am and how I got here.
0: Well, thank you so much for bringing your your lived experience, because I think it's nice, especially for the young people that might be listening or watching um, to see a success story Um, when Mm -hmm. you're in when you're deep in it and and you kind of can't see the the next step. It's nice to see somebody who has been there and come out the other end and in the end, dedicated their life to supporting people who are experiencing these challenges. So um, thanks for being here today. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the flip side, uh, same, same, but different. Steven, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of insight as to who you are and what you're bringing to the conversation today?
2: Of course. So my name is Stephen, and in terms of professionally, I work at the Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly known as Ryerson University. Mm -hmm. I work in academic advising for the Ted Rogers School of Management. I currently advise uh, roughly 1,500 students in marketing management, and uh, I also am the chair of the Student Retention Committee and Strategic Enrollment uh, Management Initiative in terms of us doing surveys and, and gathering an insight on why students take time off from their studies and what supports we can create and infrastructure we can build at the university to, to support their return back to studies and uh, how that needs to look different to support them. And academically, I'm also a PhD student at uh, the Ted Rogers School of Management starting this September. Most of my studies is in student wellness uh, and online learning, as well as uh, combating attrition and, uh, and, and enhancing engagement and performance in an academic setting.
0: Amazing. So we've Mm -hmm. got a team of three people here who are all champions and cheerleaders for the success of young people, um, whatever that looks like. And uh, in this particular conversation, we're going to be focusing on supporting students through to graduation and the value for some students of pushing pause. Um, Instead of just being on that accelerated treadmill where you're running and you're falling behind and you're getting close to falling off the back, uh, sometimes we just need to push stop on the treadmill and Regroup, get our, get our act together again and move forward. And this can be a really scary thing for a lot of institutions where they're really measured on retention and we're looking at graduation rates and we want to see students through to that place where they are achieving what we're, what we're guiding them through. Um, and that fear of pushing pause and, and seeing them step away can be a really scary place. Um, but we're going to dive in and, and talk about some of the things that we're seeing on campus, the things that we're seeing in young people, and then what are some things that maybe institutions might be able to do to support students who, who do take that leave. So my first kind of question for for you guys, and, and we'll go with Stephen and then over to Mike to, to finish up, um, what are some of the things that you're seeing in terms of trends when it comes to mental health and wellness um, with, with students on campus these days. I think, I think a lot of people are probably seeing similar things. So I'm curious <laughs> what, what you want to share on that.
2: Absolutely. So one of the things that I was really intrigued by is uh, because I've been working on retention work at the university over the past uh, four years, the trends have started to change, especially with uh, the introduction of the COVID-19 global pandemic. I think there's been more of a shift of awareness and wellness and what health and wellness uh, looks like when you're thriving, when you're flourishing, and when you're languishing, and all of those things in between. And uh, in the past year, we did a survey with about 500 students, and I might pull some data from this throughout our conversation uh just because it's some interesting feedback we've gotten from students for this year uh one of the things we saw the highest uh number of uh Reason students consider a barrier to their studies is health or well-being. Uh, About just under 40% of the students surveyed, we surveyed again about 500 students, said that health or well-being or wellness was the number one reason why they took time away from their studies or needed that time to regroup. So that's an important thing we need to consider uh, from an institutional perspective. And another really interesting contextual importance is uh, how many courses students have left. I always thought when I started my retention work, that it would be students that were uh, one year into their studies or had uh had 40 courses left or 35 courses left, but uh, over 50% of the students that we surveyed had one to 15 courses left. So they were more than halfway through their degree and they needed that pause or they needed that time off. So that's another really important contextual understanding we need to keep in consideration is that supporting our new students is important, but supporting our current students in in academic persistence is important. It looks different.
0: Yeah, I think that that's fantastic to, to have that, that awareness that it's not necessarily those at the beginning of their journey. As yeah. adults, we know that we can be hit with challenges and and barriers and um, different energy levels, even uh, as we go through the roller coaster. And it's the same for our students. And, and just being aware of that um, can be really, really important. Uh, Mike, what are you seeing in, in the work that you're doing? In
1: terms of what am I seeing is, who it's such a complex situation because there's the societal factors and then there's individual life factors. Primarily, it's a sense of being lost or discouraged. I think those are the two maybe hopeless and discouraged and frustrated. So when people desire, to finish school or, or just to be competent on a daily basis and they're not able to as a result of just personal struggles or sometimes the context of their life after enough frustration the simple thing is is to give up in some sense or to blame themselves or society for their situation. And ultimately that's not helpful for people when they're caught in a blame or a finger pointing experience, but because they don't have guidance and they don't perhaps have the tools to navigate that, it's very difficult not to do that because as human beings, our impulsive reaction is always to point the finger outward or to blame ourselves as inherently flawed or dysfunctional. And, and I think at a surface level, that's the first piece of what people often describe, right? It's mm-hmm. because of this external factor, I can't do this or I'm a failure. And while pieces of that might be true, it's not the whole story. It is not helpful to be stuck there. Mm-hmm. And then the school these institutions never, and I think this is true across the board. So whether it's a workplace environment an institution um, have never been responsible for these things. And in some sense, you could also argue that it's not their responsibility to care for the mental health of the people in the school or their employees. You could also say it's also, perhaps not their responsibility to be harmful to the mental health of, but so there's that big piece in the background that I think is important and often gets overlooked. And I think we have done a very bad job at teaching young people that life is not supposed to be easy and it's okay when you struggle. What's not okay is to blame other people or yourself perhaps. and that you have the capacity to work through it and that you can't do it alone. And then, so with all of those moving parts, how does an institution actually provide that to someone? I don't know. And that's probably part of why we're having this discussion. I do think maybe the last thing I would say is this idea of taking a pause. There, I think there's one piece where if we're taught or if we learn how to take more pauses on a daily basis, even for five minutes, or on a monthly basis, just taking a day to chill, that can be so helpful in the long-term. And I think that's been a lost art in our society in the past 20 years, maybe longer, I'm not sure. And then of course, the other side would be, how would we encourage people to see, and institutions to see an extended pause as actually a benefit as opposed to negative. Okay, that was, a, that was my long-winded explanation of trying to pull all these different aspects into the present.
0: Yeah, but I, I think I think you you nailed a couple really really important pieces when we when we're really talking about it is is what is the responsibility of the institution, um, and I think that that is a very contested piece, especially mm-hmm. with the cost of really good supports, mental health supports for students, um, the the sheer volume that we're seeing in mental health challenges and. The almost one-to-one support is is the best way, and you can't do that in a very scalable manner, mm-hmm. uh, affordably. Um, and so, I know across the board, institutions' mental health capacity is is overextended right now, um, and a lot of students either don't know where to find those resources on campus, or when they do approach them, um, they don't have the availability to um, to care for those students. And and again the question is is it their responsibility? Um. And I think we could have a whole other conversation on go. that alone, um, but but let's let's just take for granted um, that these students have these challenges. Maybe they didn't access it or they need to take a pause. So they need to step away from the institution for a while and maybe they're gonna seek some support elsewhere or they need that extended pause um, on the academic stuff and, and take off some of that pressure in order to address um, some of the, the other challenges that they're experiencing. So um, destigmatizing that and um, helping support students in that process is going to be something that that institutions can do. And to some extent, that will lessen the, the overextended pressure on their mental health teams. Um, but we need to help them with that re-engagement piece is because we, we want to see them come to completion. But what does that look like? So I'm curious, Stephen, I don't know if you have anything to add after what we were just talking about. I saw you nodding uh, in the video there. Do you want to add something?
2: Yeah, one thing I want to just add is I I read this... paper, but it was by Bailey and Phillips in 2016. And it talks about how universities often create a culture of academic achievement as being the number one priority and outcome of a student's degree and, and, and very much linked to degree persistence. So what will often happen is students will become more extrinsically motivated by academic achievement than, than prioritizing their own wellness or well-being or, or the other priorities they have in terms of completing their degree. So what will often happen is Going to that yoga class after after all their lectures, or attending that wellness intervention that their school is running for them when they're academically suffering, they'll put those things to the wayside to ensure that they're prioritizing their own academic achievement and success. And in turn, what happens is their wellness and health and health continue to suffer, and they don't get that time and that resource balance that they need. So the academic achievement will go down, and they won't understand why because they're including they're constantly throwing more time and energy and resources at the academic achievement and not understanding fully why they're not seeing the outcomes that they think they should be seeing.
0: I think that's a great point. And something that we see with the students on a gap year and we we see them sometimes really struggle because they're not getting that external um, validation that, that they're not receiving those grades because they've yes. been conditioned to look for approval, to look for um, some sort of grade, some sort of measure of how well they're doing. Um, and, and through the gap year process, they start to develop um, a deeper sense of that intrinsic motivation um, and finding rewards in another Area And I just had a conversation actually with a gapper. Um, She, she wasn't really super, super excited to go back to school, um, because she wanted to start her own business. And I said, Okay, well, why don't you why don't you do a little bit of both. You don't need to be a 95 student. Um, You don't need to spend all of this time studying and acing every single one of your tests, Um, that there can be a balance there. Um, And that was something that was a new concept to her because she had always had this, this validation um, through grades and uh, she's starting to learn what is important to her and what will keep her fulfilled and balanced in a way that she can complete her courses uh, and she can have um, the. These, these extracurricular uh, or co-curricular elements that, that round out her, her post-secondary experience. So I think that's a great point um, that, that there is a culture shift that, that we need to, to be addressing here. So let's say students do take a step away. Stephen, what do you think um, institutions can do to support them in that step away that would eventually lead to their return back onto campus? What are you seeing?
2: One thing I'm seeing that we are trying to continue to offer more of is a, an alternative type of learning for students to address that concern or that gap that, they, that they're that they experiencing for themselves. That could look like, uh, like I said, a wellness intervention. We have one at our institution called Thriving in Action that we offer that's uh, run by um, a, a bunch of our faculty from psychology and in the Faculty of Arts, and they do an exceptional job at, uh, at offering that program to students, regardless of whether they're currently enrolled full-time or they're taking time off so that's one thing i do see students take advantage of uh, to to kind of combat that that need for for psychological support what we also are seeing are students engaging in alternative learning styles like boot camps so uh, an excel certificate offered through our school or they could be taking a uh, a coding course or something like that that's, uh, that's a that's they get an online badge for it they can add to their resume so some more experiential learning i think is is taking place while students take that time off and i I think it's absolutely wonderful. And that's something that I try to point to students toward more and more is uh, trying to keep them engaged with the institution in a way that's positive to remain uh, within, within a, a very positive relationship for them so that when they come back to their studies, hopefully we do want to see everyone return toward completing their degree when it works for them. But we want to ensure that the, the relationship remains positive while they take the, their time away and, and us supporting in them. And that is crucial.
0: Yeah, I like that idea of having other offerings for them because you do want to maintain that relationship and you do want to show them that they can be successful um, within within things that the institution is offering because that will bolster that trusting relationship with the institution um, and help them to to understand that there are different ways of learning as well. Um, So I'm I'm really pleased to hear that. And I think that that's a a wonderful um, way to keep them engaged because we want to keep them connected during this time. You don't want to just send them out into the the, the wilderness and say, good luck, we'll see you in a year or see you in two years. Uh, But keeping them engaged can be really helpful. What about you, Mike? If someone was to take a year off, what are some things that, that they might be able to or you would recommend tapping into?
1: more specific learning on in like personal psychology and well-being because what happens is and this is I think well documented and supported by social psychology work is young people arrive in university without the skills to face the challenges of life and it's not their fault it's ours really it's the adults in the world that have put them in this position so one piece might be is it possible for universities to create courses that teach these things and have that count towards their degree? And I think I don't think there's any fluffiness to that at all. That's a fundamental life skill to learn to be a you know an effective citizen in our democracy, which is also having a hard time right now. And, and I think directly correlated to that personal development stuff. So that's just, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know, Stephen, actually, does that thriving program, do they get credits for that? Or is it more just, uh, it's an offering to them?
2: So there isn't, there is a four credit option for it. And okay. uh, my, my supervisor, uh, Dr. Ellen Choi, and I actually did a previous study on this, where we compared students that did the four credit version with the not for credit version. And the for credit students showed very significant improvements in their health and well-being they they prioritized it well with their academics and said that it was a very meaningful uh, experience which was great and uh, when we looked at it with the the not for credit option we saw some different results that we're still looking at but uh, it it is very promising to see these types of uh, interventions be it academic or wellness-based and in supporting our students we even have at the Ted Rogers School a uh, program for students that are on probation, where we we, we uh, say that it's required for them to attend. And it's a program that's built in the flourishing model. So it's looking at how we can build these soft skills, so to call them, on, on supporting uh, good study habits, uh, taking care of themselves. And they're required to attend a certain number of sessions for that. And we've seen really positive changes in the students that attend that and their ability to go back to clear standing and being able to take more courses. And a pause sometimes looks like that. It looks like a reduced course load, which is great too. So that's something I like to talk to students about as well is what are the resources you have and what's depleting them. And if if, de- if the depletion is a full-time course load, let's look at part-time options or let's look at taking one semester off versus two. There's a pause can look very different for a lot of students, but I, I would love to see more of these types of programs. Ours, uh, the one that we do for academics is called back to business. <laughs> and mm. it's uh, it's it's doing really well so far. And we have an incredible staff team supporting that. And I would love to continue to see um, the university at large create more of these programs that have either a for credit or a mandatory requirement to it so that students uh, look at it the same way they look at it as their required courses. Because I find if it's optional, they're going to be less inclined to prioritize it.
1: Yeah, brilliant. That's awesome. I, I think There's so many random electives that people choose and that probably don't really contribute all that much to their careers and et cetera, more to their interests. So I'll take the very individual perspective of when I'm working with young people who are on a break, having something like that, that would keep them connected to the school would be fantastic. I think if that, and, and I don't, maybe other universities have that. I don't know. Um, at least the clients I'm working with have never described that. And none of them go to Ryerson's. I think it was mentioned before, Michelle, that student services departments are often overwhelmed or overtaxed. I find mixed reviews with that. So sometimes the support students get is helpful. Other times it's not helpful. And that's an internal thing that probably needs to be sorted out in some way. And you also mentioned it's not scalable, which I think is also a huge challenge. I am just going to speak as a therapist, psychotherapist is breaking down that, that shame and that it's all my fault. That is so important to address and to help people forgive themselves or, or just accept this idea that this is where they are in their life and that that's okay. I don't think that because that's tied a lot to the academic achievement thing. I I just need this thing here and I'll just sacrifice my own sanity and well-being to achieve it while simultaneously reducing my ability to achieve the perceived uh, finish line, which I think Stephen described nicely. And so part of it is how do we help people understand that? life is suffering and we have hard times and that's okay. And then, okay, we've accepted this. There's a great quote from Carl Rogers, who's one of the most famous psychiatrists, psychotherapists is the curious paradox is until we accept ourselves for who we are, we can't change, right? Or, and once we accept ourselves for who we are, we can change. And that's a very difficult thing to do for people in general. But also for students who might have family pressure, they probably have social pressure. I know one person who basically just had to lie to everybody because this person couldn't or just did not feel comfortable being honest. I had to drop out because I just, I can't take it anymore. And so they make up excuses as to why they can't and this, that, and the other. And so those are, that's the reality of what's going on in the minds of young people when they're in this position a lot of self-shame a lot of self-blame a lot of I need to lie to protect my sense of pride I can't be honest with my parents I'm in conflict with my parents so these are all real things that are going on and primarily it's addressing that first although it doesn't have to be and then it's okay, what's the plan? I think that's another piece what's so important about keeping people connected to the school through maybe the Thrive Program or something similar is helping them perceive the break or the gap as actually a success, as part of their successful journey back into who they want to be and, and setting the goals. I find goals to be nebulous because they're it's similar to that I need the academic achievement. But once I've done that, then my motivation. And I think there's great studies that the graduation day is the most exciting day of a student's life. And the next day is the worst day of their life because they they passed the threshold where, oh, they were on top of the mountain and now they're not. Um, so it's that goes back to that intrinsic piece. So setting a, a plan, we'll say, of how am I going to get back into the routine that I know is good for me and that ultimately I desire as a human being because I want to be successful. I want to be able to perform and engage in school, but I'm just really struggling right now and I don't know what to do.
0: Yeah, I think that, and it ties really nicely with some of the work that we do at CanGap actually. Um, Uh, One of the things that we're working on is we've got uh, some applications in for funding to run what we're going to call the boomerang project, Mm -hmm. um, where students who are taking a break from post-secondary come and work with us and they work towards the student of leadership and humanity award, which is award that we have put together where students earn um, various badges that level up into um, this this overall award. Um, And then that kind of serves as their re entry point back into the institution and, as you were saying, like some of the badges that they earn are all about identity about wellness about my future, looking at plans for the future, um, finding a mentor, all of these things that help to make them a stronger, more resilient person with some self-awareness and awareness of the world around them um, can be really, really helpful so that that time off is intentional and purposeful and is setting setting them up for success once they return back. Because like you said, without a plan, it can be very overwhelming and you can go to stagnant places where you might not be evolving as a person and working through some of those challenges that you need to overcome come in order to be ready to re-engage back in school. We're really hoping that that funding is going to come through uh, because we've seen the the way that it works with our just our general GAP students, but to formalize it and put it in a program and celebrate that pause in a way yeah. and, and to put some credentialing around it where they can see progress, to tap into, as we were talking before, that desire for achievement um, and giving them those mark that aren't necessarily tied to a uh, a grade or a marker or a level, um, but just personal best and personal achievement and self-awareness. It can be a really, really powerful tool. And we see our our young people that have have got the award so far really come come out ahead uh, in the long run and um, using it as a tool for institutions to be able to... um, almost pass off the student say okay you need a break from us that's totally fine but let's get you some support so that this time is spent in a way that's constructive that that will foster your development and get you back on track Um, Mm -hmm. can be really really um, really really helpful um, so I, I think that, that it's just such a beautiful conversation that we're, we're having here. Um, Stephen, was there, were there any other stats that came out of your um, study that were interesting that you wanted to share with us?
2: Yeah, I, I can pull that up here. So uh, the main things we looked at were... Uh, the remain number of remaining courses students had left, and it was over fifty percent of them had uh, one to fifteen courses left. So most of them were more than halfway through their degree, which I found was very interesting. Uh, it, it co- uh, course delivery preference: uh, about sixty-eight point three percent of the students surveyed preferred online learning versus in person, uh, which I found really interesting as well. Because uh, prior surveys we've done, students were really eager to come back on campus, but I think there's a, there's somewhat of an, an autonomy there with online learning that. Uh, Allow students to have more time for a little bit of flexibility as well. So I think that's something important that institutions need to keep in mind moving forward is that flexibility of how we offer learning and how it may look different for different types of learners. For example, in studies, we've seen that mature learners tend to thrive with online learning more so than uh, they may in, for in-person because of the autonomy that comes with online learning. And, uh, and then the last thing is, uh, for students that wanted to be connected with an advisor, the number one uh, reason was to help them plan out their courses because they felt they needed more support in figuring out what to do next. So I think that's an important piece we have to keep considering. And then the second most popular one was campus supports. A lot of students are just not aware of what supports are available to them and how to access them. Uh, A lot of our supports are also available to students on a pause. And that's something that students are often not aware of. So making sure that students are well aware of these two things, I think is very important.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important that as we look at students who are pushing pause, um, that we're creating some sort of package that really gives them all of the information that they need. Um, things that are available internally on campus, through, through the school, through the resources that are there, and some suggestions of things that, that they can do external to that, um, as well as a package upon return as well. Um, hey, we're so yeah. glad to see you back. Um, here's how we're going to make this comfortable for you. Here's how we're going to reintegrate you back into this place that you may still have some some toxic feelings towards. Um, How can we support you developing a more positive relationship? And and what do we need to do? Do we need to do a reduced course load to get back into this? Do we need to connect you with a counselor or an advisor on campus? Um, And really supporting them both in the, the exit phase and in that return phase um, and make it as simple as possible because One thing that I've seen through all the work I've done with youth is it's not that there's a lack of services out there, it's there's a lack of connection between the young person and the services that are out there and they really need help navigating that. So the simpler we can make it, the the more straightforward it can be, the more likely there is to be success between connecting that person with the resources that they need.
2: I think that's so important, too, because when I started this retention project four years ago, the process was very simple. I emailed students that weren't enrolled, said, hey, do you want to come back? And then that was kind of it. And I saw out of the students I contacted, it was about 600, that uh, about 7% of them wanted to come back. So it was pretty low. 7%. And uh, over the past four years, we've really redesigned and developed this process to be uh, very robust. And now there's a referral process. We gather information on what the students need. We have individualized appointments with them to discuss their their catered plan. And now we're seeing over 20% of students re-enrolling. So more than double the results, just from us having more of a personalized touch and more of an infrastructure for support.
0: I love it. Yeah, it's so funny when I sometimes I talk also about the deferral process um, and what that looks like. And the the simplest thing, like sending them um, like a university or college sweater, like that hoodie that that will go through the wash and they'll put it back on. I still belong here. This is still part of who I am. That $30 investment that the institution makes in, in providing a gift saying, we'll miss you we're here when you're ready. Here's a sweater um, that that reminder and it goes through the wash and it comes back and no, I'm not ready now, but I will be and they want me um, those little tiny, tiny things that are that are symbolic, but also good reminders that there is a place for you, um, that this can be home again for you can be so so helpful. That's beautiful. This has been just such an interesting and fruitful conversation. um, And we do have to wrap it up. So I'm going to ask you to leave us with one piece of advice. If you could boil it down and and one piece of advice for institutions who are uh, investigating or supporting students who are taking an intentional pause, who are taking some sort of gap from their studies, what would that be? We'll start with you, Stephen, then we'll jump over to Mike.
2: Sure. I think that developing and designing a retention strategy that's uh, built on not only strategic enrollment management to support the university, but that's also built in principles of supporting student wellness and degree persistence is paramount. And if anyone ever had questions, I'd be happy to support them in building one. We've uh, spent the last four or five years uh, what I've, uh, getting to the point where it's now become a really well-oiled machine. And I think it's just an important part of supporting our students.
0: Awesome. And Mike, what's your, what's your piece of wisdom here?
1: Sure. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, Steve. Uh, um, It would be to, for universities to perhaps remember that university is a place in which students are there to learn and grow and develop themselves. And so when students are requesting a pause or reintegrating is just to reinforce and remind them that they have the capacity within themselves to be resilient, to bounce back and to pursue their values and the person they want to be and and act in the world in, in a way that they came to university to pursue to begin with. So I think that's the reminder is they have the capacity to be resilient and to get back on track and that This is not a sign of failure in some sense. It's a huge sign of courage and humility and honesty to accept the fact that I'm at a rough patch. That's okay. I'm going to do everything I can to address that. And then I'm going to return ideally in a better position and that I'm capable of doing that and capable of succeeding. So that would be my two cents. I
0: love it. So much wisdom here, Um, and I think for me, um, it would be just reminding institutions that um, the studies show that those who do take gap time, um, they end up being better students. Um, they have a different sense of why they're studying and what they're studying. Um, they, they tend to have higher grades. They tend to be more employable once they graduate. Um, they do have that autonomy. They're in the driver's seat of their life. They're not just fumbling along, doing what everybody else is doing. They've, they've had to take a detour. They've had to step off that conveyor belt and make some decisions, some active decisions um, instead of just passively moving through life and Um, the the studies show that that it makes them better students and better alum. Um, So when you want those graduates that are going to do your institution proud, when you want to see your students be successful, uh, that this pause is not something to be feared. It is something that we can support as institutions. Um, And if there's anything that the Canadian Gap Year Association can do to help you on that journey of figuring out how to support them and how to see that success reintegration um, by all means uh, you can reach out to us um, through our website we are more than happy to support you on your journeys as institutions um, and Stephen where can folks find more or connect with you if they have further questions
2: yeah I would say email is the easiest or LinkedIn either of those
0: are great perfect and Mike where can we find you
1: yeah same email or just my website starts with me.ca
0: Perfect. And I will pop those into the show notes. So if folks want to reach out to you, um, you can find all of their contact information there. So Stephen and Mike, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today.
1: Thank Thank you for having having us.